says this. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the life of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word. Thanks for the Holy Spirit's help with your word. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just open up your word to us, encourage us, and teach us through it. Help us to see and be encouraged again by how you reign. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage those who are struggling this morning emotionally, physically, Spiritually, I pray that you would just give them your grace and your mercy. God, you would just encourage us this morning, Lord. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Time is fast flying. Life is fast ebbing away. The hour is daily drawing nearer when the reality of our Christianity will be tested and it will be seen whether we have built on the rock or on sand. J.C. Riley, the great um, bishop in England, said that in 1879. Time is fast flying. Life is fast ebbing away. And we'll be seen as Christians where we are building our trust. Is it on the rock or is our life built on sand? Psalm 97 says the Lord reigns, which actually it's a very easy psalm in a sense to understand the message of Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. It's just hard to believe. When you look at your own life in your own situation, do you really believe that the Lord reigns in your tough job situation? Do you really believe that the Lord reigns in your long family struggle that God's gone on for years and doesn't seem to have any change in a marriage or in a children's situation? Do you really believe the Lord reigns in the medical diagnosis that you received? Do you believe the Lord reigns in the changes of life and relationships? Do you really believe the Lord reigns in the frustration of figuring out future plans? Do you believe the Lord reigns in the inconveniences that just creep up every week after week? Someone said, how small God can seem and how big evil can appear. The message of Psalm 97, it's easy to understand. It's just hard to believe. And this morning, 
I want us to use Psalm 97 as a summer stabilizer. It's a psalm that gives us the right lenses to look at what we've been going through. It's, it's, the, it's the middle of the summer, and Psalm 97 is just kind of that psalm stabilizer for us to, to help us see what we've been through this year, what, what, what you're in right now, and what you will go through. It's kind of like, hopefully this morning, my desire is kind of just like a, a pull-off on a, just on, on a trip you're on, and there's a spectacular view to see. The sun's out. Things are clear. You can pull off for a little, little bit and pause and just appreciate and gain perspective as you continue down the path that you're going. That's what Psalm 97 is, and I hope will be for us this morning. Why should we go through some psalms? Well, why do that? Psalms teach us how to pray. These are psalms that Jesus would have known. These are psalms that Jesus would have prayed. And that's what the psalms do for us. They teach us how to pray. The psalms, they reshape our desires and our affections because they they cover every issue uh, of life. Psalms reassure us and they, they direct us in all our experiences and all our emotions. If you read the psalms, you're gonna find whatever situation you dealt with this week, there's gonna be somebody talking about that feeling, that emotion, that struggle. So when you read the Psalms and pray the Psalms, you're finding people that are saying, yes, you are not weird. You're normal. You're human. They validate our emotions. They help us to know how to pray. They give us hope. They also are a collection. They're not just random psalms and hymns put together. Uh, the, the psalms are 150 psalms put together, but they're actually a collection of four books together of psalms. Uh, and there are different connections in the psalms, but the psalms ultimately help us to believe what they say. They, they help us in our human experience. They help us when we struggle with God seeming small and evil appearing big, when it seems like it should be easy to believe, but it's difficult. Psalm 97 is a collection of what are five kingly psalms, which emphasize the the kingship of God. And there's a connection, there's a whole selection of them, um, 93, 96, 97, 98, and a couple others that are all kind of tied together. And what were they written for? Why are the people of God praying this? Why, why is this psalm written? And, and people believe that it was written to and probably for the exiled people of God who had been pulled from their homes and they're wondering How will they be able to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The the idea of being exiled, we all experience. Exile is just being somewhere you don't want to be. When, When you're little, you get exiled out of your house pretty quickly and you have to go to school and you don't want to be there. As you get older, you have many, many of you wake up every day and you get exiled from your home and you have to go to work, someplace you don't really want to be. That's the, that's the feeling of what exile is. It's, and so the, the people of God have been, had been exiled 
And it seemed that evil had been winning and God was not winning. And they, were, and they were told in Psalm 137 to sing the song of the Lord. And they were feeling, how can we sing the song of the Lord when I'm in a place that I don't really want to be? And the psalmist put together Psalm 97 with a collection of Old Testament truths from Exodus, phrases that people would have known. And he sat down and he took all these collection of ideas and thoughts that people had known and he put them together to remind them that God reigns even in the midst of their situation. He took familiar phrases and truths and wove them together as a prayer, as a poem, as a song, as an anthem. And and the, the point of it is not just to give you grit to get through. Not to just say, well, I've made it through July of 2022, and now I can just take this and plow through to the end. It's not just about grit. It's really to see that the Lord reigns that turns to gladness. Four times, almost five, four or five times in this Psalms, it talks about gladness, joy, rejoicing. Only God's grace can do this. But, but how do we understand this? What do we need in the middle of this week, in the middle of your years? You look at your situation, where you've been, what you're in the midst of, and what you have coming forward. Do you believe that God reigns? And Psalm 97 helps us remember and be encouraged. First of all, when you can see the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the mountains, let the many coastlands be glad. The first thing that we can help us focus is realize that God's reign is sovereign over you. This is what it is. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. This is the truth that God's reign is absolutely sovereign over everything. God is an absolute ruler, controller, and sustainer of all his creation. This is, he, he has authority. Psalm 96, 10 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He, you, he will judge the peoples with equities. The Lord reigns. Let all the earth, let all the islands, back to the many, many coastlands, all the islands of the world see that God reigns over all of them. That's how they, they would have seen the world as a small portion back then. But what it meant was everywhere that land is, God reigns over. There are over, are over 900,000 islands in the world, and God reigns over all of them. God reigns over every area of, of our life. God reigns. He has absolute authority. God's sovereignty means he has absolute ability. He's free. And God's sovereignty means he has absolute activity. He's not just stagnant in your life. God's reign is sovereign over you. Even when you don't understand what God is doing, he is a sovereign ruler. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. God reigns sovereign over you. Even when it may feel like evil is big. God is sovereignly reigning over every part of it. He has great authority. He has absolute ability. He guards and does everything in righteousness. God will always do what is right. And he's always active. He holds back evil and he will judge evil. But God's reign over you, what we need of that is a humble acceptance of that is that that is true, which is that Romans eight tells us, all things work together for good to those who love God. All things. There's nothing that happened in January. Nothing that's going to happen in December. Nothing that's going to happen in August, outside of the rule and reign of God over your life. And as a, if you're a follower of Christ, it will work for your good, even when it doesn't feel like it right now or in the moment. All things work together for good. Our desire is perfect, is the humble acceptance of that reality. Jerry Bridges says, there is no such thing as pain without purpose for the child of God. What do you do with the reality that God's reign is over you. Well, in 1653, there was a guy named Bustrold Whitlock, who was part of the government of Oliver Cromwell's. He was an envoy of Oliver Cromwell's. He was sent to Sweden one time, and he was so worked up about what was going on in the world, all those problems, what was going to take place in the future. He was just all concerned. He couldn't sleep, totally troubled. And his assistant was with him in the next bed as they were traveling to do this big political situation and deal with all the problems. And he, his assistant realized that Whitlock couldn't sleep, and he said to him, Sir, May I ask you a question? And Whitlock said, of course. And his assistant said, sir, do you think God governed the world very well before you came into it? Undoubtedly, Whitlock said. And sir, do you think that he will govern it quite well when you are gone out of it? Certainly, Whitlock said. Then, sir, excuse me, but do you not think you may trust him to govern it quite well while you are living and Whitlock had no answer to that question. He just rolled over and he went to sleep. That's what we are called to do and can do with the fact that God is sovereign over his life. God reigns. He rules. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands beget. beget. God reigns over you. But God's reign over you, it's also meant to remind you that God's reminders, the, the, these reminders that he gives us even from the psalm, that he doesn't just reign over, they're, they're very sheltering for you. These reminders that we get from God are just sheltering for you. When you get stuck in a storm, uh, when you are out, as soon as the rain hit this morning, uh, if you are out in the rain, a big storm, I mean, you instantly want to seek shelter. So the question is, where do you run? 
Where do you go right now when you need shelter, when all the storms of life are pressing on you? Where are you going to run? And Psalm 97 just says the, the, the reminders of God are what are to shelter us. He says clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of God. I mean, fire goes out before him and he burns up his adversaries. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees it and trembles. Mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. This, these are all just pictures of just majesty. I mean, mountains are melting before God. Fire's going out be, be, before him. And it would remind the people of Israel when they first heard this of Exodus chapter 19 when God arrived on Mount Sinai after they had left Egypt and he, and he had lightning and thunder and they just saw the mighty majesty of God. It's just this picture of authority, of grandeur, of power. And when you see this picture of God, what, what it should cause you to do is when, when Isaiah saw it, he was absolutely humbled in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 when he thought, saw the majesty of God. If you, if you wonder about that, go spend some time, go read this afternoon, Isaiah chapter 40. Just sit down and read Isaiah chapter 40 and see the power and the majesty and the might of God. And what it should call us to do is what Psalm 95 says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The, the majesty of God for the believer should not make you fear and tremble and run away from God. It's actually very sheltering for, from us. When we see how great God is, how powerful he is, who he really says he is, how he's revealed himself, we, we come to him kneeled in humble worship. It was just like a, like children to their parents. We, we just crawl up on their lap. Get real close, because we know how great he is. We can remember his majesty, but also there in that majesty, there's just absolute mystery. It says clouds and thick darkness are all around him. We cannot take away the mystery of God. We have his majesty. We don't. We don't know. All that God knows, we, we cannot forget the mystery of God. He, he's doing things that we do not understand. We get news that we do not like. We go through situations that we, we don't enjoy, and it is that sometimes like God is clouded in this thick darkness that He can't be clearly seen. It's not a time for us to pull away from God. It's still, that's just the reminder that this is God. He's separate from us. He's not like us. He's the creator of us, but he's called to, we can shelter in that. There's mystery to God. In the darkness, as a song from City Light says, in the darkness, God will keep me. He will stay and never sleep. In the darkness, God is brighter, though the night is long and deep. All this day, your hand has held me, God of heaven, by my side. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. You will hold me through the night. In the shadows, you are with me, and you know my every fear. In the shadows, none can harm me, for the mighty King is here. All this day, your hand has held me, God of heaven, by my side. 
Thank you, Father, for your goodness. You will hold me through the night. So I find my rest in Jesus. He who came to rescue me. Jesus, save me from the darkness. I will rise to life with me. The question is, it, where it is not where is God in the mystery. The question is, God is there in the mystery. He's surrounded by clouds and thick darkness. It's, it's all around him. But Jesus is moving in those moments in your life. Jesus is he's, he's doing it and he's working in your life unbelievably compassionately. When you see a majestic God that melts mountains, when you read about a God who has lightning and fire coming out of him, our first instance should be to tremble and fear. There's a reality to that. And the idea would then think, well, if this is the kind of God he is who mountains, who mountains melt before him, I don't have a chance. I can't come near him. And if he sees me and he knows me, he's not going to want to help me. But that is the exact opposite of how God describes himself. He is a God that melts mountains with great majesty. And he's clothed in, cl in clouds of thick darkness. But this is the God that he is to his children. As it says in Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. If you're on a hike and you see a little limb from a tree, a little branch just hanging off, just barely dangling it, our natural inclination is to walk by Pluck it right off. Not God. When God sees a person who's been beat down, who's struggling, and they're just barely hanging on, God says he's not going to pluck that off. He will not break a bruised reed. And when the candle of someone's life is just, just barely flickering, he's not going to snuff it out. He is a God who will not do that. Job understood this. Job went through all types of tragedies and struggles, and he saw the clouds and thick darkness. And this is what Job said in Job 23.10. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Because Job knew a God who could melt mountains, but he knew that God would not ultimately melt him. And he trusted in him. And he held on to that. You know how Job held on to that? It wasn't like he held on to that by skipping around and enjoying every moment. He held on to that truth by taking all his frustrations, all his questions, all his anger, all his struggle and taking it right to God. You read Job, and over and over again, Job is pleading with God and talking to God and telling him how he feels about it all. And at the end of it, when all Job's friends, who were supposed to be so wise and helpful, that God says to them, hey, hey you, Job's friends, go to Job and let Job help you, because Job didn't sin through any of it. And you read Job, and you're like, Job complained all the way through this. But he took all his complaints to God. And God said in that he, he did not sin. The, the mystery and the majesty of God comes with this message. God says these are reminders that shelter us. This is who God is. There's this majesty of God, and there's this mystery that we have to keep with God. And this majesty of God and this mystery of God comes with the message 
of don't trust false gods. Don't worship false gods. All you worshipers of images are going to be put to shame. Whom who makes their boast in worthless idols, worship him. Really, not little gods, it's probably angels. Worship them, angelic beings. What we are called to do is when you see the, the, the majesty of God and the mystery of your life, we're called to trust God, that God reigns. Don't turn to worship other idols. Don't turn to TV. Don't turn to pornography. Don't turn to family. Don't turn to money. Don't turn to all the other idols that are not going to satisfy you. When, when there's the majesty and the mystery seems overwhelming, the message is keep trusting God. Don't trust false gods. Don't waste your life. The message as we know as Christians, is Jesus. There was one who came. Jesus is the one who makes us glad. He came, took on all the issues of life, lived the life that we could not and would not live, live left to ourselves, and went to, the cross to our, went to the cross for our sins so that we can have hope. One of the easiest verses in the Bible to memorize is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It's easy to memorize. It's very hard to live. So how do we live with that? And why do we, when there's this mysteries of life, why do we turn to lesser gods? James Montgomery Boyce asked that question once. So why does it appear that we serve lesser gods? Probably because it's because we know so little of the true God. And the reason we know so little of the true God is that we spend so little time with him. The only way you're going to spend good time with God, the only way you're going to spend time with God where you take Psalm 97 as the stabilizer that it is, is if you do at least four things. You have to pursue God. You have to make knowing and seeing God a priority. You have to make it a practice, and you have to be persistent in it. When I say pursue God, I mean just ask God. That's what it means. If you say, I, I want to see God as a God who reigns. I want to see God as majestic, and I want to see God as a God I can trust in the mystery but I just don't feel it right now. I, I struggle to believe the reality of that because of all the things that I'm going through. And your pursuit of God is just say, God, I'm going to ask you, God, help me for this desire to see you. Give me a desire for God. Just ask God for the desire. If you have no desire for God, just ask God for the desire for God and then make that desire to know God a priority. You've got to plan it. You've got to then practice it and be persistent in it as we pursue God, God's reminders of how great he is are to be shelters for us. And then he just gives us, if that reality is true, he gives us all these resources that are available to us. He goes, Zion hears all this. The people of God hear this. And the response is they're glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because, yes, it seems dark right now. Yes, I feel like I'm in exile, but I know that my God reigns. Because God reigns, here's what's available to his people. For he says he preserves the life of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown in the righteous. He preserves, he delivers, he directs, and he delights, and he calls us 
to that. He says, this is what we should direct, we should call to. He says, oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. That, that is the call just to repent. Repent is not a bad word. Repentance is the word of the Christian life. The Christian life is really a, a walk of repentance and faith. It's, a, it's just repentance and faith. It's getting through this week, halfway through, and realizing that you're not trusting that God reigns. It's acknowledging that before God, turning around and saying, God, you reign. Help me to believe that you reign. It's repentance and faith. It's a good thing. It's the walk of the Christian. And as Christians who love the Lord and hate evil. God preserves them, he delivers them, he directs them, and he delights them, he, he, and he gives them delight. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy is for the upright. A lot of people say to me, Paul, I'm just bored. I'm bored with God, I'm bored with church, I'm bored with the Bible, I'm bored, I'm bored. And the reason that you're bored as you've taken your eyes off of looking at God, the God who reigns sovereign over everything. And if you're bored, go home, sit outside, pick up a flower or blade of grass or look at a tree and look at it and wonder how to get here. What is it doing? How is it living? How is it surviving? And wonder at the greatness that the almighty sovereign God created that for us to enjoy. And let the creation of God stir you out of your boredom. That this is the God that we worship. He reigns over everything. He's sovereign over it all. You, you can't be bored when you let your heart work that way. These are all the resources that are available to us, he preserves, he delivers, he directs, and he delights because he reigns over all. One of the things that we did on our vacation was we went to a gold mine and took a tour of an actual gold mine that I think stopped working in the 1980s. And they would take you thousands of feet inside the mountain into the gold mine. You get to see it all, see the gold ore had it all explained to us. As you come out, there's this water flow from the mountains that would go, come through the mountains. So there's this constant flow of water coming out of the mountain into this big pool of ponds, a couple layers down. As you could come out, you could pan for gold. And they had all these containers for us to pan for gold. And that, this gold mine still has $70 million worth of gold inside of it. And so there's all this water floating through, and there's just flakes of gold to be found. Every time I'd pick up my pan, I'd find a flake of gold. They give you a little bag to put it in. And so we sat there, and we, we panned for gold. We'd pick up little gold flakes and put it in. You had two options. You could go tour the gold mine, come outside, pan for gold, or you could turn around, pack it up, get in your car, and leave. But if you packed it up, got in your car, and turned around and leave, you left and lost your opportunity to have access to all the gold. And you could have stayed there all day long and panned and panned for gold, and we stayed for a long time. And we got rocks and we got flakes of gold because it was all available to us. Because God reigns, 
Everything that God has is available to you. And it's just like this flowing river, ready to be panned. But he's not going to force you to pan it. He's going to give you everything you need. He's going to provide you with everything you have, all the access to everything you need available. But he won't force you. You can pack it up and walk away. But you won't have the hope of being preserved, being delivered, being directed, and having true delight. But if you stay, and if you stay and pan and wait and wonder and marvel and enjoy the majesty of God, not every day, but you will find flakes of gold, little moments, and built up over a lifetime, you will look back and you will say, yes, it was always true, but I know God reigns. God rules. I love the translation of the message by Eugene Peterson. In verse 1, he says, God rules. There's something to shout over. And he closes, so God's people shout praise to God. Give thanks to our holy God. God rules. God reigns. Will you stay and pan, or will you pack it up and walk away? Let's pray.